This is Cher, and I'm here with Jason and Rob. Guys, if you had to describe this podcast in five words or less, what would you say? I'm going to go with Wild E. Coyote guzzling gasoline. I'm thinking climate change diarrhea hurricane. (laughs) Are you serious? Maybe I should do this thing on my own. Fine. It's a show about how to stay sane in a world where there's too many people consuming too much stuff and the planet can't take it anymore. You had me at diarrhea. Caution. If you're allergic to four-letter words, you might want to try a different podcast. Hey, you guys ever notice the weird way that cars are named after the thing they destroy? Mm-hmm. Toyota. Like what? what do you mean? Toyota Tundra. That's my favorite. <laughs> Toyota Tundra. Right. Yeah. 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 You put up enough emissions and the Tundra just melts away. Then the the GMC Denali. Yeah, the Denali. That's what I was just thinking of. Yeah. I remember, uh, I don't know if it's still around, but I remember the Tahoe. You oh, know, he's yeah. dumping a bunch of the, stuff. The lake in is the lake. still there, but, you know, it's um, filled with oil. But, right. Well, yeah. it's, you know, it's not getting replenished very much. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, the best one has got to be, uh, in my mind, the Lincoln Town Car. You know, the car has <laughs> just destroyed the town. That's true. Are there, can you still get those, or do you have to be over 90 years old in I order know, is, to Is Lincoln to get one? still around? Lincoln Town Car not only destroyed the town, but destroyed itself. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Oh, yeah, isn't... Uh, I think you have to be Abraham Lincoln's age to qualify to drive, to drive, drive one of those. <laughs> yeah. Well, what about all of the Volkswagen ones? Volkswagen, mean? that's yeah. the best. Golfing? Volks- golfing? Yeah, so golf, that's actually named after... The Gulf Stream. Oh, that's screwed. That's going to die. Yeah, think about that, right? The <laughs> I had Gulf no idea. Stream. Yeah. I thought it was a, like this sport where people wear funny pants. No, no, no. It's like the Gulf Stream. <laughs> Wait a minute. Are you calling golf a sport? Because uh, we're going to have to have a debate about that's that. That's a whole other <laughs> Tennis episode is the best of this sport. podcast. Tennis. No, but think about that. Like with, you know, with climate change, we're completely you know, messing okay. up the Gulf Stream. Well, well what uh, else? What else? The rabbit? The, was that made after rabbits, right? Yeah, well, there's probably a lot of roadkill. Well, we're going to be eating lots of rabbits in the future, I think. How, how many rabbits did, did Volkswagen rabbits run over in the street? You know, that's a good... <laughs> I think you were obligated to drive over a rabbit when you saw right. one, if you were driving a rabbit. Right. That was my first car. Well, was, yeah. let's go to the Jetta, which I know was your first car, as Cher. Yeah. Uh, well, you know what that's named after? What? The Jetstream. No! <laughs> so we get the Gulfstream and the Jetstream. <laughs> They're both wacky. Ger- German engineers know how to name their, their cars. They're like, this will replace the Jetstream. This will replace the Gulfstream. No more streams of any kind. Well, what's funny is because Volkswagen is actually, you know, the car of the of the people, right? Ah, uh, yes. The wagon of the people. So we're actually, we're doing a pretty good job of getting rid of those too, yeah. right? Yeah, cars are doing in people pretty good. No question about that. Right. I've learned some German today. Thank you. Speaking of Volkswagen, you know, they got to be like the, the most ridiculous car company. I remember a few years ago, they had that huge emission scandal. Oh, yeah, with their diesels, right? Yeah. No, you remember what they were doing? They like Their diesels were emitting, you know, whatever, these pollutants, and they had the software set up to know when the car was being tested, and then it would tamp down the engine and the amount of pollution. Farfit freaking Nogan. <laughs> right, so... <laughs> So they had that. They had the technology. They had the actually ability to tampen down, yeah. tamp down the emissions. But fuck, we only need to do that one, when it's the, being tested once every two years or whatever it yeah. is when you test the car. Yeah, yeah that's utterly cool. ridiculous. Well, in in terms of ridiculousness, uh, remind me of of this guy that I saw on TV a few years back. Um, this this story is really stuck with me when it comes to cars. 
Uh, this guy is a professor at UC Davis, University of California, Davis. The Aggies. Yeah, Isn't see, that your alma mater, man? Oui. Yeah, I see you nodding your head over here. Well, uh, congratulations that you went to this guy's school. Uh, so, <laughs> Jason, you must be so proud. So oh, th- yeah. th- this guy's name is Daniel Sperling. He's won all kinds of awards. I don't want to rail on him too much, but... Uh, he he appeared on the uh, the Daily Show with with John Stewart mm, and, back in the day. And I swear, when I was thinking of cars, I like I got to look up this guy and and see how that episode went. So picture this wonky professor coming out under the big lights. John Stewart, you know, he's super quick comedian. It was it was downright awkward, but that doesn't really uh, you know that doesn't really matter. What really matters is what this guy Sperling was saying. So. He got on the show because he was he was talking about cars and he had a new book out. Okay, so let me give you the title of his book: Two Billion Cars." Subtitle: Driving Towards Sustainability. <laughs> oh, no. Oxymoron, much? <laughs> yeah. Oh no, this hurts. Yeah, yeah. So uh, his his big thing was we got a billion cars in the world. Right, we need twice as, as many. Yeah. Oh, God. Yeah. Well, and that's his thing. Well, we're going to have two billion no matter what, so we better get the right kind of cars. We're going to have electric cars. We're going to have cars with special biofuels. We're going to have cars that uh, run on fairy dust. and and, We have flying cars. They're going to run on water, man. Yeah, well, and it it got really awkward as, you know, he, he couldn't really even respond to Jon Stewart's jokes. It was kind of a mess, but... But he said some even more outlandish stuff. You know, Stewart was like, well, how are we going to make this happen? How are we going to get there and and uh, get this? Uh, and this is in 2009 when this episode aired. So Sperling says, well, we got to get a minimum price on gasoline, like uh, something like a dollar seventy five or two dollars. Wait, no, he did not say that's, that. That's exactly what he said. A dollar seventy five. Are you sure he wasn't talking about in liters? Yeah. No, no, it was <laughs> gallons. You know, we don't. Come on, this is America. No, we're, we're not, not going to talk about I, leaders. I can't. I can't fathom this. A dollar seventy-five. Yeah, that was his. Like, we got to have a minimum price. Prices have to be so high that people will switch off gas. So we better keep it at a buck seventy. Price of a cup of coffee. Cup of cup of coffee. Sorry. You know, wait, hold on a second. So, did I mean? Does he know, or did he know that just a few months earlier? I mean, gas prices in two thousand eight got up to like yeah. in some places close to five dollars a gallon. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, you know some professors. Do they know anything outside of Maybe campus? He has, yeah, exactly. <laughs> He's just riding his bicycle around on campus. He it's had a no good idea. campus for that. Yeah, maybe he was stuck back in the nineteen seventies. Well, something. and you know, look at gas prices now in the U.S. It's it's around three dollars a gallon. Three fifty. Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, in some places higher. In so China. we must be well on our way then. If right. Yeah. Right. Oh, right. 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 Well, okay. Yeah, but so if you look at the the last year that it's available, how, what percentage of cars sold in the U.S. were uh, not gasoline? It's it, it's it's amazingly tiny. So. Oh, no. Gasoline-powered cars, only gasoline, 97.2% of new cars sold in the U.S. Oh, poor Daniel. He's not feeling good about this. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's probably a lot higher than what it was at that point. Right? Yeah, but still, yeah. it's not enough. This is nine years later. <laughs> yeah. 2% of cars sold are hybrid, which means 0.4% are fully electric and 0.4% are a combo, like a plug-in hybrid. Nice. Ouchie. Yeah. It's, baby uh, steps, people. Baby steps. 
<laughs> well, and and you know we've got growth. There there are more cars in the world. Okay. Uh, estimate is one point four billion. So okay. we're on our way to two. Uh. Uh, the the amount of vehicle miles traveled in the U.S. has increased by about ten percent since then. It went down uh, for a while. After yeah, it was that. down for a while during the recession. Yeah. yeah. Well, that seems to be the one thing that can curb emissions is a recession. So maybe. Or high prices, high prices. but yeah. $1.75. $1.75. That's so strange. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, the uh, the last 10 years have not been so kind to uh, Daniel Sperling and his predictions. But, uh, but I think it's been, you know, when you think about the damage that cars have caused, I mean, it it's horrendous. Well, yeah, it's, yeah. How can you say driving to sustainability when it's like driving us extinct? You know. <laughs> I mean, that gets to the fact that you know he's. I mean, he he was right in a certain way of saying like it, it was sort of inconceivable that we wouldn't be driving more cars, right? Yeah, like no. we're just sort of locked into this idea of cars, and obviously we're not anywhere near driving to sustainability, you know. But we seem to be. I don't know. Like we seem to be complacent or okay with all of the like the downsides of cars. I mean, you know, we we're just joking about you know uh, nature being done in, but if you think about the toll on like human lives, you know, it's 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 pretty profound. I mean, let's see. Over the last fifteen years, right? Okay. Last fifteen years. So around you know the 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 turn of the century, a little bit after that, you want to guess how many people have died? You know, oh, on God. highways and streets. 12, 13, mm, it's, it's like, it's like a war every year. It, you know, we're like talking 400,000 people. It's 53,000 people a, a, a year, year yeah, yeah. you know, who are dying because of toxic tailpipe emissions and like 400,000 in that time period yeah. from, you know, accidents, you know, that happen on roads. Like that's insane. That's, you know. That's on. I mean, you you you're right to compare yeah. it to war. It's like right? war. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And we like a pretty good size war too. And so, Jason, I I think you're not going to be hired on to write the subtitle for any of these books. You're, you're like driving to war, driving to <laughs> extinction, extinction exactly. driving to the big shit show. Like they're yeah. not they're not going to sell many copies. Yeah. you know, you gotta you yeah. gotta you gotta think here if you want if you want that job. Yeah, put, the, the, put a positive. The PR spin, right? division of Jeep is not going to hire me. <laughs> <laughs> and we've been you know on the on the on the death side of the equation. I mean, we've been we've been kind of okay or living with that reality since sort of the beginning you know i i i remember reading about all the deaths and accidents that were caused when people were first driving you know this is before there were drive you know people having to take tests to get a driver's license yeah there were less than a billion that. cars back then oh yeah definitely <laughs> um so like 1925 okay this okay. was you know yeah. in the early days of cars i mean i i think the uh the model t came out you know i think it was 1908 okay so not right. much later than that right 1925 Auto accidents accounted for two thirds, two thirds of the entire death toll in cities that were larger than twenty five thousand people. Wow, <laughs> two thirds. And it's not like people were like super healthy, and you know there weren't other things killing people out there. Well, they were time. like leaving the speakeasy. Maybe, <laughs> maybe it was by choice. Maybe like you get to be, I don't know, sixty five. You're retiring, and they just put you in the street and run you over. Was that uh, was that it? I, or, I, I don't know. I think I honestly people didn't know what the fuck that they were doing. But yeah. but still, okay, yes, we have the population of people that are that are dying, you know, in, in auto accidents has gone way down as a as a per capita percentage. But 
it's still a lot. That. Yeah, it's a lot of fucking people. Yeah. You know, yeah, it's a lot. Well, and I don't know about you guys, but I, it seems like most people you talk to have been touched by some kind of tragedy. Yep, uh, I have. Friend, family. I know, uh, in fact, I, while you were talking to Cher, I was thinking, maybe this is why I rebel against cars and, and have, uh, you know, a, a sort of a beef, you know, or a bone to pick with them is, uh, in my family, I, I have a, an uncle uh, who was just uh, kind of one of these people that everything he does uh, kind of turned to gold and and his son, my cousin, they were killed uh, by a drunk driver, and it really affected our family. And I, I think you're right that we tend to disregard or, or sort of put aside the dangers and we kind of live with this risk. But people who have been touched by that kind of tragedy, I, you know, there, you, there's a real reason to rebel against this, you know, this kind of car I'll, culture. I'll tell you a story. Like I, when I was maybe 14, I was riding my bike. You know, and uh, in front of my house, basically, I was riding, sort of going, na- weaving in and out between the sidewalk and the street, you know, going up up and down driveways. Mm-hmm. And I wasn't really paying attention to what I was doing. I was kind of goofing around and sort of just just further down the street, um, it goes downhill. And there was a car that was actually coming up that hill, you know, cresting it. And I was on the wrong side of the street. And uh, I look up and all of a sudden there's this car there, right. you know. And and the woman who was driving it saw me, and she like slammed it on the brakes, but it was too late. You know, was it a Ford bike? You know, <laughs> the thing that it destroys. Ford cyclist. <laughs> no, it was not. Ford um, teenage boy out having fun. Yeah. So, uh, so I slammed right into it. You know, and wait, wait, wait. I I think we can call it. It slammed right into you, can't we? We were both moving. Okay. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, I'm going to take actually responsibility. For yeah, it most didn't sound of like you were right? doing a really good job yeah. there, right? So I. Uh, and I just, I still have this like visceral memory of like looking down, right? I hit the, hit the front of the car. I looked down and Time I slowed. It did. Yeah. I see my handlebars going through between my legs. Right? <laughs> and, and then I do a flip over the car, literally flip over the car and happen to magically land on my hands and knees. Oh. Okay. And then I look behind me and I see my bike. <laughs> also flipping in the air eclipsing the sun as it's coming and then down it slams you. right into me hits me in the head it knocks me out a little bit that's okay oh, your helmet protected you right i wasn't wearing there are helmet, no helmets back then. I, I was not wearing a helmet now i got super lucky you know yeah. i had a like a minor concussion they did take me to the hospital my poor mom she was in the house she heard this thing you know she heard this <laughs> screech slam boom she, you she know? heard the thud of bike to skull yeah it was you know i think i i uh, i probably shortened her life quite a bit but yeah. But my point is that that was a really close call. I think a lot of us, a lot have of had, us had a close call. Have had yeah. close calls driving or being passenger in a car or being yeah. a pedestrian or whatever. Yeah. But you know, two years later, I get my driver's license. I'm like all psyched, you know. Yeah, I'm, and I'm driving high. like a motherfucking idiot, <laughs> you know. I'm driving this two ton weapon and just reveling in the freedom I have. Have the windows open, blasting music. Mm-hmm. You know, I was like mm-hmm. having the time of my well, life driving. Around. You know, it's become so casual. I mean, when I was a kid, I remember going to soccer practice in the you know, the bed of my, my friend's dad's pickup, right? There's like four of us kids riding in the pickup of a bed. Yeah. 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 So bad. But it's not just, you know what I, I, I was recently taken back by a New York times article about the roadkill in Brazil. Brazil's the most biodiverse country in the world. And all these new roads are going in through the Amazon. And it's just like slaughtering an estimated 1.3 million animals every day. What? Wait, yeah. You mean a year? No. A One, day? 1.3 million animals a, a day. day. Just 
getting run or pancaked on the road. It's yeah. like it's for a southern man like me. It's a dream. I just get out there with a spatula so and I dinner. scoop them all up. It's like possums. Yeah. Taking them, taking them home. Yeah, eating like some caiman tail or something. Yeah, wow. I mean it's just nuts. It's just absolutely nuts. And in the U.S., I mean, of course, we've all seen plenty of deer and raccoons and crows or whatever. But in New York State, about 65,000 deer each year are killed. <laughs> just in New York State? Yeah. I've been hit by a deer in a car. Poor thing. Yeah. And this was, the car did not hit the deer. Like, the guy who was driving <laughs> hit the brakes and the deer ran into the side of the car, like smacked it with his head and then ran off. Jeez. But actually dented the car. We had to we had to go get it fixed. I hope the deer was right. taste? Did he eat it? Uh, no, I mean, it ran off. Oh. But I got two more good, uh, okay. well, I was going to say deer stories. The first one's an elk story. A friend of mine was driving uh, her truck along a highway, and an elk came through her windshield, and it was like still alive, like kicking oh. her in the face and the neck Jesus. and stuff. <laughs> you know? You know, and I, I don't know if most people uh, are familiar with, with elk, but yeah. That's, yeah they're, they're quite large. It could be a, like a 400, 500-pound animal. Uh, well, there are 1,000-pound elk around yeah. here. <laughs> yeah. And in another instance, I mean, this is, I think, getting to that, makes that 65,000 number. Like, if I know these people who are, who are getting hit by deer and hitting deer, a friend of mine, he uh, used to go hunting with his family. And they were driving two trucks, you know, a little bit before dawn to get to the site where they wanted to go hunting. And my friend was in the lead pickup truck and he, they were going along and he looked back and noticed that the truck behind him wasn't there anymore. Like, what the hell? Where'd they go? So they pulled over and waited and waited and they're like, okay, we got to go back. So they went back and they found the other truck and that truck had hit a deer and killed it. So they just loaded it up in the truck, hunting done, time to go home. Yeah, you know that reminds me of a family I knew. They were called the Hendersons, and uh, they went on a camping trip and they hit a a Bigfoot. Oh, and then they stuck that on the yeah. top of their car. I think they made a documentary. I didn't about know that. you you knew them because yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, and I, then they called it Harry. Yeah, yeah. I, 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 your I, kids are younger than mine. I missed that one. Oh, uh, I, I know. <laughs> don't, don't worry, I know all the eighties movies. Uh, oh, that's yeah, an eighties movie. John Lithgow, Harry oh, and the Hendersons. This is this yeah. was the this was the pinnacle of his his uh, his career. Okay, yeah, was it even even bigger than third rock that uh, horrendous TV no, i'm just show. talking about the quality of of the the, the production and the and, and the <laughs> okay. storytelling yeah, yeah. Okay. I, missed, I missed that yeah you really did uh we'll get that on netflix for you later <laughs> okay so we're talking about you know human deaths animal deaths any other issues with cars that we can uh, think of yeah i got an issue uh, let, why don't we just talk about the colossal waste that cars are when you look at um, spending money, a car has got to be the worst investment. And a lot of people are starting to realize that. You get um, millennials who are like, I'm not going to buy a car. That's a, that's a ridiculous. Uh, you know, as soon as you start driving it, the depreciation kicks in. Right. They can't afford insurance. Well, do you guys know the, the average car owner in the U.S. pays $12,500 a year for their car? That's the, you know, sort of taking into account the purchase price or the sure. lease, the gas. The uh, insurance, the wear and tear, the all of that—that that totally sounds right. That's like that's like a dollar a mile, right? Because doesn't the average yes, car go it's a about, dollar a mile? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, and uh, even Morgan Stanley, the revered investment bank, which maybe we'd have some down things to say about them, but we'll save that. They call cars the world's most underutilized asset, and the reason they do that is because you're spending all that money. And yet each car is, is only driven around for about 14 hours a week. 
Wow. So, you know, if you, you start doing the math on that, it's like you're basically paying, what, $18, $20 an hour for driving your car. <laughs> drive your car. <laughs> wow. Well, so I guess the solution there is to utilize it more, right? Is that what more? Yeah, you should, you should drive all the time. Yeah, drive all the <laughs> Actually, I got to say 14 hours a, a week. That's two hours a day. That's a lot. That, yeah. that actually feels like a lot to me. That's. Yeah. I'm glad I don't spend of, that much time. That sounds miserable. Yeah. Well, we, don't, we, we don't live in a place so where you have to commute for an hour each way. That's true. But you, so you're paying out the nose to do something that fucking sucks. Yeah. Well, yeah. That's, that's why That's why with road rage, why everybody's so angry at one another. They're well, we in their car out, too much. We all pay out the nose for something we use even less. <laughs> yeah. That, that's a good point. Because it's not only the expense of the car. There's also, don't forget, the, the car infrastructure. Right. So right. we're all paying for that, paying even for if that. we're not yeah. driving. So yeah. sta- state and local governments are spending on roads and highways five hundred dollars per person. Yeah, I mean it's it's insane. Think about it, you know they could just be handing us five hundred bucks a person. That's five hundred a year, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah every year, uh-huh. nice. uh, and that doesn't even include federal spending, a lot, which is a lot more, I'm sure. Yeah, because yeah, the highways, right? And of course, there's plenty of private costs with parking facilities, you know, garages, whatever, driveways, all yeah. of that. Try you, know, you can't build a house today without putting a garage in, right? I mean, you're going to have to do that. The bank will not give you a loan unless you put a garage in your house. You know, so uh, yeah, we have to we have to do it. It's like we're required, and cities and counties, and they're all required to put in so many parking places right? and have road systems that are so big to accommodate the cars. Right behind our so the. Post Carbon Institute, where Rob and I work, uh, right next to our building, we're, we're we work in this old building that was built what in early 1900s or something like yeah. that, maybe earlier than that. Right, it's on the National uh, Registry. Registry of yeah. Historic Places. Beautiful old building. Right next to us is going, you know, what a 500 car garage. Yeah, you know, 500 car parking garage. It's is that be what's a, going in there? Yeah. Well, and some probably some student housing, right? <sighs> but the garage is more offensive. I mean, uh, what it. Suppose we get rid of car culture. Like, what can you do with a parking garage? What's this going to become? Like a an awesome <laughs> skate park or yeah, something? Is that's, that, a good is idea. That, that's that's basically it. You know? well, people can live in it. Yeah, um, shelter from the storm. I've always wanted to live on on a concrete ramp. What a what an awesome <laughs> nice place angle. to live. <laughs> you just roll down the down the hill every night. You've got like the, your little living stalls pre pre like right exactly. Yeah, they lined just, uh, yeah, they public lined public up. service announcement. Don't let a share design your next uh, homestead. <laughs> the, the homeless shelter for all the climate refugees in the future. Right. Yeah, I live in number one ninety eight. Exactly. <laughs> uh, okay. Well, uh, that's yeah. that's the money side. But what about uh, what about the pollution side? Well, yeah. I mean, so greenhouse gas emissions are a big deal nowadays. I think people really? care. care oh, they care about yeah. them. Yeah. I mean, okay. so transportation is twenty eight percent of greenhouse gas emissions in the U.S. It's the largest. It's pretty pretty darn close to electricity, but it is the biggest. You know, and 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 so. And then cars and trucks, so this is sort of like not not the stuff that necessarily is commercial vehicles, but the cars and trucks we might drive around are 83% of those greenhouse gas emissions. That's just a huge proportion for private vehicles. So, so when the climate scientists say we've got 10 or 12 years where we've got to just cut our, our use of fossil fuels in half, I mean, it seems yeah. like that would be the place, you, yeah. know, you go after the biggest... Yeah, but are we ready for that at all? Well, I mean, it's a big challenge. I mean, you know, you talked earlier about how many electric vehicles there are. You know, three <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you you have one of them. Yeah. Um, so two two others. Right. Uh, we got a long way to go if we're going to substitute. You know, and 
there there are real limitations in that. I mean, most of the um, by far most of transportation is driven by liquid fuels. You know, and right. that's that's oil, right? And yeah. you know, in the form of gasoline and, and diesel and whatnot. And it's uh, there's a reason why we burn that stuff. You know, it's incredibly energy dense. Has a ton of uh, of literal power in it. You know, uh, you could transport it safely, uh, relatively safely. It's been incredibly cheap for the amount of energy that that it provides, and it's just a a big challenge to transition the the vehicle fleet to alternatives. I mean, yeah. but it's also in our own. heads. It's yeah. like the status symbol. Like we've been marketed, you know, that this is an extension of ourself. You know, I know. And, I like wanna... I, like you know, some people will buy the the Ford three fifty Power Stroke because it's you know it's incredible and it's sort of and others though are supposedly green you know are going to buy that Prius Hybrid but then they're gonna then they're gonna you know fly to Italy for uh, for a vacation so I don't think anyone's like necessarily better but I'm saying this is like an extension of our identity I it? know I, I'm gonna get the kit oh. That's, uh, you know, Michael Knight's car that talks oh. with the red light that yeah. goes across yeah. the front. Yeah, Michael, yeah, yeah. you're driving too fast. Hey, I'm Rob. I'm not Michael. Right. <laughs> you sure it's not your middle name? All right. Well, it's true. I think that, uh, and that's what's crazy. This guy that you were talking about, um, you know, that was on The Daily Show. Daniel Sperling. Daniel yeah. Sperling. I mean, he's he's talking about how we're going to get to 2 billion cars and... and uh, and I think part of the big part of the reason, beyond the fact that we are kind of locked in, inf- you know, in terms of the infrastructure that we developed towards it, is the fact that people can't imagine themselves, at least in a lot of America, right. not having a car. It's tied yeah. to their identity. You know, it's um, people taking an immense amount of pride in the kind of car that they have. You know, right. they, they they're willing to waste a shit ton of money right. on this thing because. Um, of what it represents for them, yeah. we've, we've and it's we've got display. so much of our language is tied to cars, great music, Springsteen, you know, yeah. others like, you know, it's like <laughs> it, it's it's part of that rite of passage when you know when you grow up, you know, oh, you get yeah. your driver's license. You had a you Jetta, right? You had a Jetta. Yeah, I had a Jetta. Yeah. Okay, I had a Volkswagen Rabbit, so we're Volkswagen friends. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're of the people. Yeah. yeah. Um, so it makes Screwing it ruin up the environment for the rest <laughs> of us. It makes it hard, you know, and. I mean, and what are the alternatives? Yeah. Are you gonna we're gonna ride your bike? Well, yes, uh, but I, I do want to say that uh, I, you know, I think we've all had some pretty outstanding experiences. You know, taking a car somewhere that we couldn't have gotten to. You know, right. I wasn't gonna walk to Yosemite. I understand the allure of having a car, being able to, it's a freedom kind of a thing. And oh, I, car I, camping was so much fun, yeah. you know, going, just going hours away and sort of end of a road. And I mean, one of my best memories is, is road tripping with my brother across the country, yeah. you know. Yeah. But, you know, you open the door to bikes. I, you know, I think of the three of us, I'm the most bike nerdy. Uh, and I, I feel like, you know, when I learned to ride a bike, it's probably like how a lot of people feel like when they got their driver's license. Like, I just felt free. Like, mm-hmm. here's this yeah. thing that I could get around on. I could go fast. I could get where I wanted to go. And I, I think a lot of people, when the car becomes available to them, they lose that sense of fun with a bike. But right. I just never did. And I love commuting by bike. I love, you didn't get uh, hit by a car when you were 14 yeah, years old. Yeah, I, I suppose that's a little bit of a deterrent. You do have to be kind of <laughs> crazy to get out there on our streets where 400,000 people have died in the last 15 years like that you got to kind of pretend like you're not going to get hurt like that semi isn't going to flatten you out there but no really i I mean i've ridden a bike uh actually all the way across the united states like you can take a bike really far now obviously i didn't do it in two days or three days like you you could in a car but 
I think what people don't realize is that the bicycle is the most efficient form of transportation humans have ever invented. Yeah, by far. By efficient, I mean the, the amount of distance that you get for the amount of calories that you put in. Mm-hmm. So, you know, a car, you think about... Wait, wait, wait. I just sit on my butt in the car and I just sit in my big gulp. I'm not putting in anything. <laughs> I'm, 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 what are you talking about? Yeah, I think you forgot about a share uh, in the highly dense uh, energy oh. that he was talking about. Okay. Remember that? that yeah. uh, the oil... The oil, oil that goes in there. Okay. So you're, ta- uh, you're counting that. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I see. Yeah. And I mean, also think about when you are driving your car, uh, you're, you know, let's say you're just going to the store, you're carrying like three to 5,000 pounds with you. Uh, mm-hmm. That hardly seems necessary to, to pick up, uh, you know, a carton six of pack. eggs. And yeah. A, yeah. And, and the, and the, the <laughs> six pack. engine is not particularly, af- uh, you know, efficient. I mean, they've tried yeah. to make cars more efficient, but it's not particularly efficient. There's limits to what you can do with the car, yeah. not cycle. I, I mean, at the end of the day, it's like something like 1% of the energy, you know, goes to actually moving your you. ass. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> right. So well, a bike has got to be better than that. Well, also on a bike, I, I, I mean, there's a few other things I love. Like, let's say you're, you're doing your daily commute. You're actually waking up. You're, you're getting in shape. You're staying fit. You actually see the place that you're going through. You know, when you're in a car surrounded by that glass and steel, you kind of just move through it and don't pay much attention. You fiddle with the radio or whatever. But yeah, you, but you get to listen to Rush Limbaugh. Oh well, jeez. <laughs> I, I mean, there are upsides. I'm done. To it. I, I'm gonna go. Th- I'm gonna go run over my bike now with the car and uh, just listen to <laughs> well, Rush. That, yeah, that's and, what and, Rush is telling you to do. Right. You know, besides interacting with place, it's also a way to interact with people. You know, like on that that trip I was talking about where we went across country, people would invite us to stay with them. People would uh, just offer us food. They were interested in what we were doing and why we were riding our bikes like that. That's never happened to me when I've driven my car across. Like Nobody gives a shit about who I am or what I'm doing, and they're <laughs> right. certainly they not inviting. out of the way. Yeah, they might want my yeah. money, right? Or they might, yeah. but uh, yeah, yeah it's, uh, I think bikes, there's just... It's a much different experience, both uh, environmentally and socially. Yeah, I, mean, I would love to make it have it easier, easier and more friendly to bike more. Yeah, I mean, I think that that's what it's going to take because right now we've c- kind of created an infrastructure, especially here in the West. You know, we we live in Oregon that is completely built around the car. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like. It's almost like an obligation to have to have a car. And but the funny thing is it didn't obviously didn't used to be that way. Right. Right? There was a li- there was life before car. There were there was there was life before car. Like a hundred years it, ago it was very It's different. hard for us, you know, in, in in suburban America, you know, the communities that were built, you know, after World World War Two and the and the, the highway system was built to sort of imagine that. But like if you go to the East Coast or cities the that Europe, were, yeah. were established you know, before cars existed, the road was not there for cars. In fact, streets were communal spaces. People would walk down the street, you know, they'd have to watch out for horses and, and, (laughs) you know, carts and shit. But, you know, it was, it was a place that people congregated. Kids would be playing, literally playing in the street all the time. Yeah, yeah, I'm picturing Spanky and Alfalfa playing marbles or whatever. (laughs) And in fact, you know, I I talked earlier about all the deaths, you know, that, that occurred in the kind of the early days of car culture. And part of that had to do with the fact that like that transition took a while, you know, it's like, like people, it took a while for not only for there to be like speed limit laws and stop signs and all the things that had to be put in place to protect people who were driving. It was also just the fact that people didn't think 
that this street was something meant for the car. And there was actually a big back, backlash, you know, wow. against cars. There were protests. There were, I think it was in Chicago, there was like a protest of thousands of kids. They organized and they were marching down the street because they wanted the fucking Well, think of this. You're playing hopscotch or jacks or something like that. Stickball. 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 And some jerk in a Studebaker just starts flying through your, <laughs> your right. playground. Yeah. But I've been pissed. And so a lot of a lot of like politicians, elected officials felt like they had to kind of push back, you know, against cars and car aficionados, you know, this is even really before there's like a powerful industry. They 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 felt like they were on the defense of all the car clubs, all the right. people that were like really into cars. A lot of them were were of the kind of wealthier class, oh, yeah, you know. Rich bastards, I'm sure. And they they sort of said we got to get organized and push back on this whole thing. In fact, the the term <laughs> jaywalking, that came from the sort of pro car auto club culture, basically saying we got to make people that walk in the street look like assholes, like it's their <laughs> fault, right? So a J was a term for somebody who's like kind of a country bumpkin, right? Oh, so calling somebody a jaywalker meant like you're a fucking country idiot walking in the middle of the street, like you don't know what you're doing, so you got to get out of the street. So right? we should start jaywalking as a protest, just. Just get out on I-5 or you know, and just walk right down the middle lane. I, I hope you've got like a very protective bubble that you could wrap yourself right, yeah. in. Yeah. Well, I will ride my bike. I'll let you go I'll, first. I'll recreate the scene that you had of watching the bike go through your, through your legs as you're flying through the air. But so we, I mean... This was not something that always was, right? There yeah. was there was a, an orchestrated effort to kind of take over these thoroughfares, these public spaces in the interest of the, well, and, of the car. And you you hit it, orchestrated. I mean, you know the case with GM where oh, yeah. where they the streetcar conspiracy. There were GM and Firestone and Standard Oil and some other companies. They got together, they colluded, and they bought up the transit systems of twenty five cities. Wow. With the, the express purpose of dismantling them so that you would have to buy a car to be able to get around in any kind of an efficient way. And in, in 1949, GM was actually, uh, they were convicted and fined $5,000. You know? That's not enough. And the, the company's treasurer. $5,000. Well, the, yeah, the, the company's treasurer, who kind of uh, spearheaded this conspiracy, he was fined the uh, princely sum of $1. <laughs> oh, so you know what? I don't. Who knows? Well, what, come on. With inflation, that was probably what dollar yeah, like, seventy five. Yeah. The, the <laughs> limit on gas. Yeah. Well, you know, you you wonder like how far did the conspiracy go? Did oh. they pay off the judges or? Well, that's yeah. the thing. You realize that what's going on is probably government's kind of going. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. Here we're gonna we're gonna make you pay for this. And now, fast forward a hundred years, right? And. Even here in, in uh, where we live in Corvallis, Oregon, pretty progressive city, it's actually known as, as quite a bike-friendly community. Yeah. yeah. Um, the streets aren't really designed for people using them for anything other than, you know, driving in a car. Like, when we moved here, we wanted to put our basketball hoop out on the street so my kids could play. You of know, course. Our, our who, driveway, doesn't wanna, who doesn't want to play basketball out on the street? Our driveway is too steep. You know, we couldn't, couldn't do that. So we wanted, we parked it down on, on the street where it was, it was flat. And our neighbors, like, called called the, the city, you know, to complain. <laughs> and the city basically said, look, you know, we don't, we probably wouldn't do anything with this, but since we got to complain, you guys got to remove the basketball hoop. And, and oh, and by the way, did, I mean, did you, uh, did you block in your neighbor's car with the basketball hoop? Yeah, if, I, I, if I knew who it was, I would have probably done that. But like, you know, they basically said, there is actually, you know, uh, law in the books and ordinance that you, th- you can't play in the street. 
You know, like they don't really enforce it all the time, but it basically is law that your kids can't go play in the street. You know what I mean? It's it's crazy. So, look, what's our recourse? You talked about Rob. You talked about the benefits and 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 uh, the pleasure of riding a bicycle. But you know, a lot of people, even if they're physically able to do it, you know, it doesn't feel safe to do it. Well, now that I've heard that uh, playing in the streets is is against the law, I'm not sure I'm allowed to bike anymore because I I look at that as playing. Yeah, Yeah. you're having too much (laughs) fun. That's no good. I think ultimately this means we got to take back the street. You know, I fully agree. I, you know, you guys, uh, we, we work with Richard Heinberg and, he does this uh, really cool online course called Think Resilience. And, you know, if you go through that, you get this really big systems perspective of the crises we're facing and, and how to move toward building resilient communities. Well, in that, the thing that struck me the most in the whole series is when he's talking about the way that infrastructure informs culture. What he's saying is the belief systems, the way we behave is largely dependent on the infrastructure that we have to work with. And Richard didn't make this stuff up. It comes from a lot of anthropological research, uh, started mostly by a guy named named Marvin Harris. And if you're interested, you can look it up. It's called cultural materialism. Mm -hmm. But this notion, uh, you know, at first I didn't quite get it. But when we started thinking about cars and, and I was giving it more and more thought, I really was like, Wow, yeah. that's that's so true. And I, what really cemented it is that Cher and I got to go visit a, a colleague who's working on getting a train going, a commuter train in Vermont. And I was thinking about when when you have an infrastructure for cars, it's a very competitive in, infrastructure. Like, yeah. if the three of us are driving, we're we're kind of in competition with each other. I basically yeah. don't want you yeah, get out of my get way. Get the fuck out of my yeah, way. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm gonna honk and I'm gonna yell at you. And and you know, it's like the more people you service, the worse it is. And everybody's kind of doing their own thing. And it's it's just a real competitive spirit. And in in a train, it's a much more cooperative spirit. I mean, you're all going the same way. We might, rather than uh, drive up on each other's bumpers and yell at each other, instead we'll just have a conversation over a beer while we're riding the train to our destination. And those those infrastructures are very different, and your behavior is very different depending on, on which mode of transportation you're using. You can drink and ride, but you can't drink and drive. Uh, well, they're sold right there. <laughs> it's true. I think that the the physical world around us, we 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 don't consider it. We don't step back and, and imagine how it could be different. But we need to do that. At the same time, I think where we are here, right, twenty eighteen, with the with the the crisis at hand in terms of cl- of climate change, the fact that we spent trillions of dollars. And I don't even know how many billions of barrels of oil mm-hmm. building this infrastructure. A waste. Right? And uh, yeah, I'm James Howard Kunstler, uh, the, the great critic of kind of the spaces and architecture that we've built called the suburbs and the highway system, the worst allocation of resources in human history. But yeah. but we've allocated it, right? Yeah. Yeah. We have this, this cost. And not only, you know, we might say, hey, well, let's spend money on something else. You know, let's do this differently. I think all that requires a ton of energy to build a different infrastructure. Right, right. Do we have that? Do we have it? Do we have yeah. the money? Do we have the time? You know. So I, I think when we think about changing our relationship with the infrastructure or changing the infrastructure, it might have to be done in a way where we look at what we have around us 
and reappropriate it. Yeah, you know, retrofit so, it rather than like build a whole parallel system. Yeah. So like right. if the streets were taken over for the car, right? There were streets before that. Well, let's take streets back from the car. Yeah. You know, what if we did something crazy like instead of putting bike lanes in all, you know, all kinds of places – uh, if we don't have them already, why don't we just take over part of the part of the street, at least to begin with? We don't mm-hmm. have to like stop cars driving in in downtown, although that would be amazing. Like well, here in Corvallis, I would love it. Let's yeah, take some percentage, even any yeah. town in America. If you said, let's just start with ten percent. Ten percent of the streets are going to be bike and pedestrian only uh, five years from now. That would be incredible compared to what's been done. There is no. I, th- I think we could do. I think we can and should be more ambitious than that. I mean, let's let's set a goal of saying, "Hey, half of our streets in in five or ten years are not allowed for cars to drive." On, I would right? love it. I mean, think about being able to get around. How safe and comfortable it would feel to ride a a, a current city street where there's no traffic and you're not you're not on this tiny little bike lane shoved off to the side where they blow all the leaves and you know you're not the second class citizen anymore you are you've or got you're your worried about space. somebody pulling up because they can't see you, you now, and this sounds this sounds like wow radical big thing but like let's look at what what we're being told by climate scientists yeah we better cut in half in like a dozen years then we better cut right. a half again yeah. and we better cut in half Again, so this is like an answer to that that actually is at the scale of what's required. And so if anyone says, no, we can't do this, like, what's your idea? Right. And not only that, but if you think about the incentives uh, that people have, right, we've incentivized car culture, right? So we reward that and we disincentivize people having to like walk or bike or whatever. Yeah. If you flip that a little bit, right. what you know, you took away <laughs> half the streets from cars. Yeah. Oh, the people who are still driving cars are going to be even more miserable, and they're going to see people, you know, happily riding their la, bicycle, la, la, la. you know, and and so the 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 incentive, the rewards right. and uh, disincentives are are going to be flipped, you exactly. know, which is what we need to That's do. We need. Well, and let's take just a quick moment to talk. I know that not everybody can ride a bike or can walk or can get around that way. You know, we've got people who are who are aging out or people with disabilities and. But we can we can find ways to keep the mobility for those people. I mean, I'll happily rickshaw you two wherever you want to go. I'll take you, you to bars all night long or whatever. But seriously, I mean, there are pedicabs. There's uh, there's right. ways we can we can get people around uh, even on on non motor vehicle streets. Sure, and they they you know they've done that historically in in lots of places in the world, and, and we're going to be doing yeah, yeah. we're still doing it today. You know. I love it. I love the simple call to action here. Take back the streets. Yeah, just be careful when you step out in the street. Yeah. Well, I don't know about you guys. I'm going to go down to the auto museum and hit some cars with a sledgehammer now. (laughs) All right. I will uh, go get some cash so I could uh, bond you out. I'm going to go plug in my electric bike. That's our show. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed it, please subscribe to the podcast. And while you're at it, rate or review it at iTunes. That really helps get in front of more people. To learn more, visit postcarbon.org slash crazy town. And if you want to actually learn something instead of listening to us bozos, you should check out Post Carbon Institute's Think Resilience course. It's four hours, 20 bucks, and will seriously change the way you see the world. Catch you next time on the mean streets at Crazy Town.
All right, a share, Jason. This is the the best part of the podcast. We get to talk about our sponsor. We love our sponsors. Yes. We Thank sure do. You Thank you, sponsors. Yes, and this time it's the Plastic Wrapping Alliance. Incredible people there. Yeah. Do you know about that uh, company? It's 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 just unbelievable what they do. They're all about efficiency. That's right. Totally. So yeah. you know, typically plastic wrapping you you wrap a product you give it to the consumer consumer uses it throws it away somehow it ends up in the ocean yeah well plastic wrapping alliance just eliminates the middleman right totally efficient they take the plastic wrapping and they just fly it to the ocean and drop it in the pacific gyre i think is their target right now Yeah. yeah it was amazing they actually took me up on one of their their flights to drop it was incredible looking down on all that plastic. It was, in- oh, it was it's amazing. A, it brings a uh, tear incredible. to the eye. Yeah. yeah, I think you can see it from like the you can space, see it from space. The space, yeah. uh, the space thing they got up there. Oh, space like if station. you're if you're riding in a Tesla that Elon Musk launched the up there, Tesla. Yeah, you can. Well, you can eventually see it. that's going to come back and then be part of the plastic shit yeah. gyre. Yeah. Oh, it's it's awesome. The 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 people at Plastic Wrapping Alliance are so good that they they even go further. So rather than just dumping it in the ocean, they'll actually take some of it and wrap it around whales and dolphins and sea turtles. So you know it's it's getting it to that final spot. Wow, incredible! Yeah, I mean, if that's where it's going to end up anyway, that's where you let's put do it. it as efficiently, right, and as quickly and as cheaply as possible. That's right. right. That's right. These yeah. guys are geniuses. Yeah, eliminate the middleman. Thank you, Plastic Wrapping Alliance.